0: This evening i'd like to talk a little bit about healing and the place of healing within this path so to be born is of course to be born with the gift of being able to feel but it is the gift of being able to feel it is always it is also a mixed gift because none of us can actually control all the times in our lives what we are going to feel. We can't say, oh yes, in this life I will have only joy. You know, in this life I will have only, only happiness. In this life I will have only bliss. I mean, we can't even do that in one sitting. You may have tried it. You know, this sitting will be only pleasure we can't control the feelings or the experiences that we encounter and we can't always control the way that the experiences in our lives are actually going to impact upon us how we are going to experience them to be able to feel is intrinsically to be open to the experiences of both pain and joy One of the fundamental facets of human existence is that all of us will, at different times and in different ways, encounter pain in our lives. There is not one of us that is or can ever be totally exempt from pain or who is invincible to the experience of pain there is no living being who through strategies or willpower or formulas is able to totally transcend the experience of pain our bodies we can't control what happens within them at all times our bodies age eventually they die our bodies, at times, become sick, or they become frail. We can't control all of the time what happens in our minds. I mean, how many of the knots of pain that you might have experienced during this retreat did you actually invite? I mean, did you ever wake up one morning and so say, it's a good day to be depressed, didn't you know? it? <laughs> It's a great day for anxiety. No, we don't. Invite them. We see the ways our minds kind of drift into these knots of pain for different reasons. Will all of us, perhaps at different times in our lives, encounter times when we lose things that we cherish? Or when we're separated from people or experiences that we value? none of us will always be at all times a winner in our lives there are times certainly when all of us falter and make mistakes and stumble and perhaps even experience failure there may be moments in all of our lives when we feel the pain of rejection of being hurt by another or the pain of being deprived of what we want or the pain of getting what we don't want. When we look around us, at the world, we see we're not alone in these pains. In fact, the capacity for pain, the capacity to be hurt, is the thread that runs through all of existence, from the smallest creature to the most powerful person. And we also see that there's no pain that exists in isolation. Sometimes we're perhaps harmed or wounded by the anger of another or we're subjected to the words or the actions of another that are born of their anger and we feel harmed, we feel hurt. we are related to them in pain. They are related to themselves in pain. If we look at the anger that may bring about that relationship, we may see that it's impossible even to find the beginning of that anger. Our lives and the experiences that happen in our lives are interwoven with the lives and the stories of countless other people We inherit the stories, and the lives, and the responses of countless generations that have gone before us. Where do we ever learn about fear, or hatred, or jealousy, or resentment? We don't know, often, where we have ever learned. And the threads, often, of these feelings go back long before we were ever even born. They can be traced back through generations. There is no experience of pain that can ever exist in isolation. Of course, it impacts and informs the world around it, just as we inform our world. Hatred and greed and fear, they are passed down inherited and passed on sometimes we may even find ourselves responding or reacting in ways and we know we are replaying the stories of many other people many other authorities many other influences in our lives no one of us can we ever find anyone who invented hatred or who invented greed or who invented anger pain is also the nature of separation separation from what we love from what we want and what we need and pain is also found in being separated from ourselves from being able to be with ourselves now some power pa- some pain that we experience occurs is simply part of the human story to be able to love is also to be exposed to the possibility of loss to be able to care is also to be open to the possibility of disappointment to be able to be intimate also brings with it the companion of the possibility of separation And part of our path as a human being, a part of our path of learning to be awake and learning to live in a wise way is actually learning not to get rid of pain, not to try to transcend pain, not to try even necessarily to avoid pain. But part of wisdom as a human being is actually learning how to embrace the very nature of life, the nature of change, with grace, with balance, and with openness. Now some pain that we experience is part of the human story, and some pain that we experience in our lives is actually part of the story of ignorance. It's part of the story of denying, or of avoiding the truth of life's actuality. For example, the actuality of life is that everything changes. To try and to hold on to anything within that river of change is to present ourselves with the possibility of pain. The nature of life is that we cannot rely on it for security for stability for safety to attempt to do so is actually to invite pain into our life the nature of life is that it cannot be possessed we cannot possess it we can't hold on to something make it mine and yet to deny that truth to attempt to possess life anything in it of course is to invite pain is to invite the experience of suffering where there is the experience of pain there is a call and there is a need for healing healing through forgiveness and through compassion and healing through wisdom. And sometimes I think we have the impression that Buddhism, or the path of Buddhism, is somehow obsessed with the idea of suffering. You know, you hear statements, you know, supposedly coming from Buddhist teaching that says, you know, all life is suffering you know, and therefore we have to transcend it actually this has nothing to do with buddhism this is some depressive maniacs who's adopted buddhism as a kind of way of supporting their own theory of what life is about the buddha certainly said there is suffering within life equally said there's joy the whole of this teaching is actually in the service of the end of suffering the whole of this teaching is actually in the service of healing. Now the Buddha was once asked, you know, would it be true to say that a part of our practice is for loving kindness, for compassion? He said, it's not true to say that. The Buddha said that it is true to say that the whole of our practice is in the service of loving kindness and compassion. The Buddha was also asked, once by Ananda of his disciples said, when we face pain in our lives when we face suffering in our lives how should we respond? How should we, we relate to these experiences of pain and suffering? And the Buddha answered that in the face of pain and suffering there are different pathways that open up to us some of these pathways are pathways that will actually perpetuate pain and suffering. And some of these pathways are pathways that will bring to an end the pain of suffering. And when he outline the possibilities of these pathways of responding to pain, it's just totally fascinating to see that 2,500 years ago, you know, people were responding, of course, to pain in exactly the same ways that we do today, which we may give to conclude that human beings are very slow learners about how actually to bring about an end to pain. One of the pathways that the Buddha spoke about as a possibility, and as a response to pain, is actually the pathway of blame, which in itself is a pathway of anger. And when we are hurt in our lives, wounded, and I don't mean just superficially offended or, or hurt by another, but when we are deeply hurt, in our, perhaps the deeper sense of our being, on an essential level, that experience of being hurt or wounded influences our entire sense of who we are to experience very powerful moments of pain in our lives gives rise often to very a very deeply wounded sense of vision a wounded sense of vision is one where there's a strong belief in inadequacy in worthlessness in powerlessness, where there is a strong, judgmental belief that is held to be true. Now, this wounded sense of vision is, what I'm thinking about, is more than just kind of fleeting feelings that arise and pass, you know, where momentarily we feel a little sad, or momentarily we feel, you know, a little judgmental about ourselves. But a wounded sense of vision is actually a very deeply held belief system that is built upon the experience of pain. The experience of being rejected, the experience of being abused or judged or denied. Experiences that actually lead us to adopt a vision of ourselves, which is shaped and molded by pain. The experience or the vision that we hold about ourselves of course shapes and molds our experience of the world. You know, a person who feels within themselves to be worthless experiences the world in a very specific way. You know, a person who experiences themselves as being powerless or uh, a victim may very well experience the world as an enemy, as something that is overwhelming, that is terrifying. A person who believes himself to be good enough will experience the world in a way which is entirely different from another who who feels a deep level of confidence or trust in themselves. Now, when we awaken in our lives to the damage that is sometimes caused through pain, that is caused by a wounded sense of vision, it is not unusual to be filled with anger and to be filled with blame. And on one level, anger is actually a very useful energy. Because one of the characteristics of a wounded sense of vision that is built upon feelings of inadequacy, or worthlessness, or powerlessness, is really a lack of energy. A lack of vitality, a lack of spark, or or not necessarily a lack, but the vitality and the energy is so suppressed and so suffocated by fear. So anger of waking up in our lives, and the anger that sometimes comes with waking up, is actually can be an awakening energy that can inspire us, that can lead us to question, that can lead us to seek the ways to bring about transformation and change, that can lead us actually to to shed things or feelings or images that are difficult or inhibiting for us in our lives. That energy, if it is in, embraced with wisdom, can be remarkably inspiring. It is also though an energy that disables us if it is embraced with confusion. Anger is an energy that can paralyze us, disable us if it is embraced with confusion because blame in many ways ties us to pain is that story in the buddhist tradition of this person who's walking out in the forest and they get shot by an arrow and you know this person's not alone and other people rush to help them you know they They've asked to, to help them. They're going to pull this arrow out. You know, they're going to going to attend to the wound. And as they approach the person who's been shot by the arrow, the person says, "Hold it a minute there. You know, before you're going to pull this arrow out, first you have to tell me. You know, what kind of wood is it made from? You know, who shot it? You know, where did it come from?" um why did this person shoot this arrow you know have you discovered where they're hiding and this whole kind of litany of questions about you know where it came from why it happened what happened to it meanwhile of course the arrow does, does nothing at all to alter the fact that this person got an arrow sticking in them and would be greatly helped by simply removing the arrow Plain in a lot of ways places us in a very similar position of being tied to pain now pain in many much of the pain that we may carry with us has very real causes in our lives is rooted in very real events very real circumstances um, very real experiences The difficulty, of course, comes for us when we equate the truth of those events and circumstances or interpret the truth of those events and circumstances as somehow as being the truth of ourselves. Blame can be a subtle or sometimes not so subtle form of wanting and needing and dependency. When we are fixated upon blame and think of a situation and we've been hurt. What is the energy that keeps that those thoughts of blame alive? I mean blame can sometimes be terribly obsessive, you know. What are the thoughts and the energy that actually keeps that sense of blame alive? Sometimes it is because we really want something. We want something from another. We want an admission of guilt. You know, we want an apology. Sometimes we want maybe even revenge. We may want the person who is rooted in the cause of this suffering equally to suffer. How free are we within any of our blame? You know, and says speaker was a woman who was telling me a, this story of you know how she'd had a terrible, terrible experiences in her childhood with her father who had abused her terribly, and when she grew up, of course, she she left home, filled filled with anger and filled with hatred for her father, and for many many years would never had never ever spoken to him, had never seen him had never contacted him. And yet she thought about him all of the time. And she said that when her father died, she, didn't, she was still so angry with him that she wouldn't go to his funeral. And so the funeral passed and her father was dead. And she still thought about him. She thought about him many, many times. And she said that at some point it came to her, you know, that her father was not suffering, but she was suffering. That she was truly suffering. And that the suffering was being kept alive by what she wanted from him. That she wanted him, you know, to be able to say he was sorry, to, to accept guilt, Something that would never ever come to her. And yet, as long as she wanted this, she realized she could never actually ever move on in her life. She could never move on in her life. We used to live in a kind of a time of the stiff upper lip, you know. This was a very proud English tradition, you know of keeping everything secret, you know, of not talking, not communicating, never say anything. And now we have moved or are moving into a different area. It's an era of disclosure, an era of openness, an era of communicating. And of course there is something that is very wonderful about moving into this time. Because for many people it means not having to live anymore in a world of secrets or a world of shame, you know, a world of hiding things, of being able to find the support and the communication and the healing that is possible. But part of this era, of course, of moving on into this openness and communication is that we're also moving into an era Of labels, of descriptions, of identities sometimes that are defined by pain. And I think there is some way in which we have to be extraordinarily careful of adopting, you know, out of the greatest of intentions, a label, a name for ourselves that defines us by pain that has taken place in the past because i also wonder how much we are able to heal as long as we carry any burden as long as we are tied to a burden of pain whether it is through blame or whether it is through a label a description that we use to define ourselves by now you know when we're if we were physically, or when we are physically sick, and you've probably had this experience, I know I've had it. You know, if you're sick, and you're sick in a way that doesn't go away overnight, you know, something that goes on, you know, something wrong with your body, um, you know, part of the pain that comes is to do with the illness. And part of the pain is also about not knowing what's happening, you know. And sometimes, you know, there's an incredible relief, you know, if you get a diagnosis you know if you're able to go to a doctor and they say oh you've got this oh it makes me feel so much better you know i actually know what i have now and on one level of course it's wonderful because once we know what is amiss with us then we can find the help that we need we can find the pathway that we need but it would also be strange to recover and then to go on for the rest of our lives referring back to this point when i had pneumonia you know it's kind of like those those kind of old veterans meetings you know mm-hmm. where the rest of my life has been defined by one particular point where the, the word has almost been a conclusion because something has happened to me now we we do live i mean in our culture it's a culture of blame you know everybody wants to sue everybody else and everybody wants to know whose fault it is and you know and and you know i i even can conceive of a time in meditation retreats you know when people may take out lawsuits against their part you know their sitting partner for disturbing their meditation you know i could imagine this happening You know. Because we do it live increasingly, actually, in a culture of blame, which is in a culture of labels. I am. I am. You are. And I think it's really important for us to question whether healing can ever take place unless we're able to go a little bit beyond our labels. Now, clear comprehension is a significant part of healing. You know, and no doubt about that. Clear comprehension, clear understanding of what moves us, where it arises from, to be able to place within ourselves, to be able to relate to our experience very clearly is an essential part of healing. You know, we can't heal when we're wandering around in blindness and confusion of not actually knowing what is taking place within ourselves. But clear comprehension is very different than blame. Clear comprehension is about the present. It is about this moment, this experience. It's not just about a label. You know, it's not just about assuming a label of, you know, I'm inadequate, I'm, I'm worthless, you know, I'm, I'm sad, I'm grieving. Clear comprehension is actually diving into that experience to experience it deeply and clearly and consciously. It is not about blame. It is not about attempting, even, to deal with something that has already gone by. Because we can never undo, we can never erase any event that has taken place in our life that harms us or wounds us. Within what has gone by, there's no possibility of change. There is a possibility of change in our relationship to what has gone by we need as think to be aware of what kind of marriages what kind of partnerships we enter into when we assume any description in our lives to be true you know when we have assumed any image any conclusion to be true we need to be aware of what how that image might actually isolate us and how it might actually freeze us in a time that has already finished. One of the first steps I feel of healing is the willingness to let be what has already gone and to let go of wanting from what has already gone. That letting go of wanting, it's not a surrender of integrity but it is a surrender, perhaps, of those conclusions about ourselves the second path that the buddha talked about that arises many times in the face of pain is the path of despair the path where despair is not so different always from depression just the despair of you know those thoughts and those feelings and those emotions of you know why did this happen to me you know what have i done to deserve this you know i'm hurt i'm wounded something happens to me that is painful you know throwing up our hands in resignation you know oh no not again you know what how why is my life so so cursed with these kind of tragedies despair is a very powerful prison it is actually, I think, a kind of suppressed anger. But within it, there is such a heaviness of spirit. you know. And how little healing happens in despair. Because when we are despairing, again, it molds our approach to every moment in our lives if we are stuck in despair. Nothing is hardly ever, ever begun because failure is already forecast. limitation or pain is somehow accepted as being a norm because confidence and trust is somehow surrendered you know when there's despair very little is sought for very little is aspired to except in fantasies because there is already the expectation of failure despair is a real darkness of I can't You know, blame is about I am and despair is about I can't. You know, some it's not uncommon to meet despair on retreats. You know, think of the moments at times when we're tempted into fantasy. What What is our relationship to that moment when we jump into a fantasy? Why do we do that? Because fantasy seems to promise us something that feels really impossible to us in the moment you know it feels impossible in the moment to find richness happiness and well-being fantasy seems easier sometimes on retreats you know when there's that temptation to kind of curl up both psychologically and sometimes even physically into a sort of fetal ball you know of surrender you know all is impossible Despair is a prison, again, that is often based upon the past. It is based upon a deep lack of inner trust in ourselves. It is really important for us to see, I think, on a moment-to-moment level, what actually gives life to the past. What actually gives life to the past? Now, everyone here is a survivor on one level. I doubt if there's anybody in this room who hasn't experienced some moment, at least one moment in their life, of a real, a real pain, brought about through events, brought about to other people. Now what is it, you know, when those memories or those images arise, what is it that actually gives life to the past and the present? It is holding. It is clinging. It is identification that creates continuity between the past and the present. Belief creates continuity between the past and the present. Clinging actually makes the past a living present. It makes the past a living reality for us. I think we really need to be very aware of how, pa- how much power we give to these words I can't. And There's many things of course we cannot do. Now none of us can reverse the laws of gravity in our bodies. Maybe none of us can you know, maybe all of us can't go out and set an Olympic record tomorrow in running. You know, all of us can't. Uh, change and undo what has really gone by there are many things that maybe we cannot do the capacity to be awake and to be aware leaves a whole world of possibility that is actually accessible and available to us but to avail ourselves of any world of possibility, of any true transformation of our lives, it requires a basis of confidence and a basis of trust. The third path that the Buddha spoke about as a a possible response to suffering and to pain, and as a path which brings about the end of suffering and pain, is the path of wisdom, the path of possibility, the path of questioning, the path of inquiring. It is the path of moving on in our lives. There is, I already mentioned, some pain which is intrinsic to life, the pain of death, the pain of separation, the pain of sickness. There is much suffering that is not at all intrinsic to life, suffering that is intrinsic to not living in harmony with the truth we held within life. You know, in California, like they made this T-shirt. You know, everybody likes to wear T-shirts. You know, that states their beliefs in the world. In California, have <laughs> a T-shirt that says, "Suffering is optional." <laughs> <laughs> Suffering is optional. I think this is a wonderful. It's, it's just the most marvelous statement. Suffering is optional. I mean, how might we look upon our lives if we actually kind of carry this around with us a little bit as a reminder, you know, that suffering is optional because usually we don't actually feel that suffering is optional. You know, we usually feel, oh, there's no choices here, you know, this, this, this is suffering, you know, and I just have to either endure it or transcend it or go through it or be heroic or any of these other things that we usually think we have to do with suffering. What would our lives be like if we actually considered the possibility? I'm not talking about the pain that's intrinsic maybe to Life, life changes, but how would our lives be if we actually carried this around as a reminder for ourselves? Think of it, the next moment, you know, you're battling with the demon of some mind state or, you know, enduring some, you know, grand, you know, Victorian tragedy, you know, or, you know, transcending your body, your emotions, you know, all of those heroic things we can do. Think of it, what difference it would make if we could remind ourselves to ask, you know, how much of the suffering is optional now uh, optional doesn't mean you know that we could just decide not to suffer you know obviously may not be quite that easy (laughs) it's not about deciding not to suffer it is about wisdom it's about the wisdom of turning towards any instance of suffering any moment of struggle, any real moment of resistance, any real moment of pain, and to look at it without fear and without resistance, and to ask ourselves, how is it caused and how does it end? And it seems to me that to heal ourselves, to heal our world, it's not about getting lost in blame. It's not about getting lost in fantasies. It's not about surrendering to suffering. Feels to me that to bring about healing in ourselves and our world, one of the most central ingredients is vision. How can anything change without some vision of possibility? How can anything be transformed unless we hold within ourselves some but no matter how small it is no matter how tiny it is that it is possible for us to be free from suffering that it is possible for us to be awake that it is possible for us to live with integrity and dignity that it's possible for us to embody wisdom and compassion that it's possible for us to live in a sacred way in a free way how can anything change unless we deeply or begin to deeply sense that this is possible for us? It seems to me vision is the catalyst for change. It's the catalyst for inquiry. I mean, would any, if you think of it historically in our world, you know, in instances of great tragedy, in instances of great suffering, you know, in in experiences of remarkable oppression, in experiences of, of remarkable injustice and inequality and pain, what was the beginning of change? The sense that this was not true. That this was not how reality, how our world or how that world could be. This vision is sparked. Vision is reaching for what is possible. You know, in this path, you know, we, you know, we talk all the time. We use these words all the time. You know, like compassion and peace and freedom and enlightenment and liberation. You know, they, you don't use these words to depress everybody. You know, and to convince them, you know, that they're hopeless and failures and you know spiritually inadequate. These words are used in order to vision, in order to spark that kind of divine curiosity within ourselves that actually reaches for greatness of heart and greatness of spirit, that seeks to make those words a reality within our own hearts and within our own experience. Part of the vision is different than fantasy. The fantasy is, has no connection to this moment vision has much connection to this moment because part of vision is actually diving through the experience of suffering with questioning with investigation with openness part of vision is also wisdom it means nurturing the really heartfelt refusal to accept the unacceptable in our life and i feel this is a very essential part of wisdom the refusal to accept the unacceptable and what is unacceptable anything that brings with it a sense of limitation or oppression or a diminishing of 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 trust and confidence is unacceptable anything that brings with it a conclusion and an imprisonment a sense of being confined by a label by a judgment by an identity this is unacceptable anything that seems to bar us from accessing the compassion and the openness and the sensitivity and dignity that's possible for us this too is unacceptable vision is healing healing is not always you know a matter of prescriptions a matter of turning to experts, or a matter of finding the right solution or the right answer. Healing may have nothing at all to do with prescriptions. Healing has much to do with clear comprehension, with wisdom, with questioning, with vision, and with compassion. And where does compassion begin with us? Surely the greatest gift of compassion we can offer ourselves is the willingness to let go of all that is limiting and all that brings sorrow and fear into our lives. Within compassion, we begin to discover the seeds of trust, the seeds of healing that is not just about my pain or your pain, But healing is a way of being present in ourselves and being present in our world. A withdrawal of demands and completions. A true openness of heart that allows things to be, to grow, to be nurtured, and to flourish. Thank you for listening.